Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajahat Ali. Waj, I cannot believe that this is the final Democracy-ish show of 2022. It feels like this year has been 10 years in one. I mean, but that is what it has been ever since Trump came down those escalators. Mm. And so for this final year show... Um, we're going to do a year in review, folks, which I'm sure all of you are doing, taking stock in what went well and what went disastrous. And we're going to do it the democracy-ish way, which is with our roses and thorns uh, of the year. So, Waj, you kick us off. And, you know, because I'm the resident pessimist, you will get to choose what you would like to offer. Uh, and we'll go back and forth. What are some of your roses and thorns of the year? Okay, so they're connected. So one of the thorns of the year is that America lost a 50-year constitutionally protected right. Roe v. Wade, we all assume, was just kind of set in stone. And yet women kept warning us that, listen, this right-wing Supreme Court is going to take it away. One of the roses, if you will, from that thorn is that it mobilized the majority. Because it seems that if you take away a right, People get pissed off in the United States of America, not just women, but young people and like, you know, their allies. They're like, wait a second, I'm going to have less rights than my mother's generation. That doesn't sound right. And in a way, as you and I have predicted, and here's another Rose, us darkies aren't crazy. We're yeah. on to something. We were actually right. The stuff that we tried to warn about and the stuff that we tried to advise the Democratic Party to do ended up being what mobilized a multicultural majority to come out and actually stop the red wave. And all the data now, we're sitting here in December, near the end of the year, says that it was defensive democracy, defensive liberties, defensive women's rights, which galvanized this multicultural coalition to give Democrats the Senate, thank you, Black women in Georgia, yet again, and that barely allowed the Republicans to hold on to the House, which they did only thanks to gerrymandering. So a major thorn. You asked me, I did, we didn't prep for this. I mean, again, losing a 50-year constitutionally protected right is huge, folks. The, I mean, it's gone. 
Roe v. Wade is gone. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, the, the, the hopeful twist here is sometimes people say, well, things got to get worse before they get better. And sometimes things just get worse. Here, <laughs> things in a strange way got better. We saw enough people shout and kick for democracy and fight for democracy. And that's one of those things where in our shows, you know, it, you know, we, we, you and I are in the muck. We have to think about this stuff. We read about this stuff. We talk about this stuff. A lot of people aren't as informed. It's kind of our job. So we know all the threats down the pipeline. It's like all my friends in national security. They're like, dude, if you knew what we knew, you wouldn't sleep at night. I'm like, oh, shit, what do you know? Uh, and so people look at us, especially as black and brown folks. Yeah, you're always whining. You're always complaining. It'll be fine. Don't worry. But as Trevor Noah said in his last show, you know, black women can't afford to F around and yep, find out. And find like out. Our peoples yep. have histories. Uh, so we, we try to be like I've given the analogy before. We try to be the Paul Revere's. And instead of being rewarded, we get shot off the horse. And many of our colleagues who are aggressively and arrogantly wrong about everything get to fail up. So the thorn is losing our rights. The thorn is that we're still under attack from a radicalized GOP that you and I accurately predicted, even despite losing, have doubled down on their extremism. The, the rose is that I do believe it is so egregious now, Danielle, mm-hmm. that people are forced to listen to the crazies like you and me who are not crazy and we are now witnessing a true resistance uh so that's my thorn and rose uh right off the bat how about you you know so i want to stay with yours for a second before i jump into mine because while you know you you start out by saying in america funny enough when you take away people's rights they fight right but waj you know Uh, What I want to say is that, yes, I think that in America, most people think that they're fighting back at the ballot box after Roe v. Wade was overturned with the Dobbs decision uh, in June. You saw, you know, the state of Kansas surprisingly Mm -hmm. decide that they weren't going to um, allow for the Republican powers that be to strip away um, the right of people in Kansas to get an abortion, because now we've just kicked this down to the states and much in the same way that LGBTQ people have uh, dealt with a patchwork of protection protections in this country. So now do women and people with uteruses. But when we say that folks fight back, I can't help but think about the people of Iran. Mm. I can't help but think about how the women of Iran, the young people of Iran have been out in the streets wash for almost two months or over two months at this point. They have shut down universities. They've shut down schools. They've shut down roads. Um, they have put their lives, hundreds of them have put their lives on the line, lost their lives because they believe in fighting for freedom, for women, for autonomy, for freedom, for their country. Right. And we just witnessed, you know, sadly, two executions thus far of protesters in Iran And so when you look and we say that, yeah, America is filled with fighters and we fight, but we look at what is happening in Iran. And if you hearken back to, you know, the earlier 2000s and the Arab Spring, you know, Americans and we had our summer, right? Um, Our our quote unquote racial uprising um, in 2020 after the murder of George Floyd. But does it seem to you that America just doesn't have 
the stamina mm. in the way that other countries do because we're just having, and, and when I say we, I mean that the the masses, those that are most in power, because let's be honest, when we're talking about the cases of abortion, while um, it is low-income women and women of color that are going to be um, adversely affected by the overturning of Roe v. Wade, this is actually something that affected white women, right? Mm. And white women are considered the treasure, the crown jewel of all things Americana. Do we not have the stamina because we still have this illusion that we are living in a democracy and that all we need to fight back is voting. You know, it's a good point because I believe we're privileged. I believe we are lazy. I believe in a strange way we're spoiled because we think that somehow the institutions will hold. We think that all these gatekeepers are friends and everything will go along fine. We could just watch sports and, you know, bet on sports now and, and do fantasy football, right? And yet I'm going to one-up uh, Iran with another group of folks who are actually fighting in the streets and being oppressed. China, that's not getting enough attention. Yeah. Like, you know, these COVID restrictions are, are a kind of a boot on the neck of the Chinese, another way for the totalitarian government to completely suppress any dissent. And what you've seen, you know, something I haven't seen in years is the Chinese people say enough is enough. And now you're seeing all these folks come out and protest the Chinese government, the Communist Party. I mean, you and me are old enough. We remember that brief uh, protest in Tiananmen Square where tanks uh, were used to run over students, right? Uh, and the Chinese government completely suppressed coverage of that, but enough of it leaked out. Well, in 2022, and now leading into 2023, for the first time that I've seen in my adult life, Chinese people are like, I'm done. I'm stepping up and fighting. And they're doing it to the risk of their lives, Danielle. And mm -hmm. so it's one of the situations where it's a rose and a thorn situation where you, you are mentioning the malaise of the general po uh, population in America, where we don't vote. Even though, I mean, that, how do you, that's the number one group that needs to be activated, the group that can vote but chooses not to vote Still. in America. That's the majority. Mm -hmm. And you see folks in Iran dying. They're being killed. People don't realize that they're being tortured, arrested, and killed. In China, they're going to get tortured, arrested, and killed yep. for speaking out for freedom. And so in a way here in America, we are very spoiled, and we are very privileged, and we are very lucky. And then the question is, how come we're not doing more? How come enough people aren't you know, using their privilege and their power? How come enough people, the average Jose's and Joe's, aren't like angrier that... Uh, the 1% made money during the pandemic while people died, especially frontline workers. Why aren't we angry that the 1% is getting more billions and not paying their taxes? Why aren't we angry uh, that you know our government just gave, what, $135 billion to the military-industrial complex, but now Democrats have to beg Mansion Cinema and Republicans for the child tax credit, which briefly you know, lifted up millions of our children off of par out of poverty? And the last thing I'll say, the thorn, uh, this is the anniversary, uh, the 20th anniversary, right, of Sandy Hook. 10th. Uh, 10th, excuse me. 10th anniversary. Uh, time is a flat circle. And, you know, it's one of the situations <laughs> where, uh, you know, Rose and Thorne, I, I dropped off my kids for the first time in school. It was the first time they actually went to school during this lockdown. And as I dropped them off, I was like, wow, they're alive. They're happy. This is fantastic. And I remember I shared this on the podcast. As I was coming back, I thought I never... A thought entered my mind that I never would have imagined. 
oh, what would happen if there's a mass shooter? And here we are with a 10-year anniversary of Sandy Hook where privileged white kids were killed and America just didn't give an F. And now you fast nope. forward and there's so many mass shootings that I forget. And so it's one of those situations that makes you wonder, what will it take for the majority to finally say enough is enough? And I don't know. I don't have the answer. Yeah, I, I you know, I, it's it's hard because America is pretty much like going through a, an extraordinarily thorny um, rose bush on a day to day basis. Right. Like. You know, I don't want to be so bleak as to say we don't make progress because obviously you and I have a show, right? In the countries that we mentioned before, we would never have shows that are allowed to criticize the government and do so um, on a weekly basis in the way that we do. We'd be dead. We would be dead or we would be in jail, right? right? And I think that, you know, oftentimes... To, to your point about the malaise, I think that we lose sight that freedom is not something that is just given. It's something that is fought for. And I and I do believe that Americans think right or, or maybe, you know, they, it's just too scary to think about the reality of what we look like on the other side of democracy. Mm. Right. And so they tell themselves, which is why Miriam Webster named the word of the year as gaslighting, that all will be OK. Yeah. Right. That every that everything is fine because they've been told for so long that with every election, democracy is on the brink um, and it's the mo- or it's the most important election of our time. And so they're like, it's just another election. And I think that what we are seeing. And this is, you know, I'll go with my thorns first, is the rise of political violence. Yeah. Right. Never. You know, it, it, we can think back again, um, to the Oklahoma City bombing, which at the time when it happened, so young, did not realize that it was like an act of political violence, right? right. Like, I just thought it was what the media told us. And we're super young when this happened. It was just, you know, some madman, you know, that was maybe a disgruntled worker. And so he blows up the building, right? It wouldn't be until many, 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 many years later that we would understand exactly what was happening there. Right. So, you know, I, I for me, well, he was and, and I have to remind people that yeah, he was a white supremacist. And this is the part that they never mentioned a Christian nationalist. Daniel. Right. Timothy McVeigh was a white mm-hmm. nationalist and Christian, excuse me, white nationalist and a Christian nationalist who was radicalized by the literature and the talking points that are now mainstream in the modern GOP. Sorry, continue. So I think that, you know, the rise in political violence, what did we see this year? Right. Um, We've seen uh, attacks uh, on LGBTQ communities, right, through mass shootings. We saw the horrific mass shooting by a white supremacist, white nationalist in the Buffalo shooting. Mm. Um, We've seen other acts of violence. We've seen, I've had friends that live in, Jewish friends that live in New Jersey, where they had to pull their children out out of the Jewish day schools because of bomb threats. Um, to the to all Jewish institutions uh, in the state of New Jersey, um, we have listened to you know uh, entertainers 
use anti-Semitic tropes. We've listened to politicians like Marjorie Taylor Greene use anti-Semitic and, you know, anti-gay and anti-trans rhetoric, right, to hype up their bases into violence. And then we've seen, you know, Paul Pelosi be nearly bludgeoned to death Mm. because he happened to be in his home, the right place at the wrong time Mm. with a person that was hyped up on Fox News and QAnon bullshit and went into his home looking for Nancy Pelosi using the same chant that was used the day of the insurrection on January 6th. So, And then what happened was the GOP, instead of lowering the temperature, they responded with another homophobic conspiracy. Yeah. And then, you know, you see people um, like uh, a a woman named Jennifer Jenkins who had the audacity to run for the school board in Brevard County in Florida who ends up facing a slew of domestic terrorism, right? Um, Because guess what she believes in? Oh, I don't know that queer kids in Florida should have the same dignity and protections and respect as everyone else, that masks actually do work Mm. um, in protecting uh, protecting kids from COVID when they were first going back into schools from remote learning. Um, So... We live now in a place where just the other day, as we're closing out this year, Waj, that we get word that 34 Republican members sent text messages to the former chief of staff, to Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, Mm. in asking him on the day of the insurrection while the world is watching these thugs storm the Capitol, build a gallows, mm. saying for the president to call martial law, which they can't fucking spell. Right? Yeah, to call as, as one of as one of my followers said, <laughs> oh yeah, to call to call uh for TJ Maxx Law. <laughs> um and you know, and it's 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 at the bottom of the ticker wash. Mainstream media isn't even covering this wall-to-wall story as i tried to write an article about it and it's gone already it's gone in a day they said you know how do we get to this place how do you how do we get to this place of 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 heightened political violence well the mainstream media normalizes it or they erase it altogether and so we're like oh i guess it's not that big of a deal that 34 members of congress who swore to protect and uphold the oath of the constitution decided that they were going to throw it out that day. And even though themselves, as well as their colleagues, were in a life-threatening situation, that they didn't really give a fuck. So (laughs) for me, it just, I, I, you know, I really, that to me was the biggest thorn of 2022 because we've just become so accustomed to, to political violence. From The New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. 
Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions. Questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. It's, it's, you know, since you've given me a bouquet of thorns, I have to uh, take your baton of thorns and respond with thorns, but then I'm going to hit you back with a flower. Okay. What you're talking about, what you're talking about, and something that we, we have to talk about more, and, and we've addressed, and I've written articles about this on this show, which I think is going to be uh, an unfortunate reality in 2023, is the rise of stochastic terrorism. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll define stochastic terrorism. It's the use of mass media to target certain individuals and communities that results in random acts of violence that are statistically probable. And Mm. stochastic terrorism defines exactly what Fox News and Tucker Carlson and the right wing are doing. As Danielle has mentioned, there is a rise in threats against poll workers, elected officials, educators, Mm -hmm. and now doctors and hospitals. And one of the major thorns is that we're not calling it out. And as we're recording this right now, a study came out from Yale, which no shit Sherlock <laughs> revealed that COVID vaccines save lives. In fact, Shut up. Yeah, Shut, I well, swear to God. Up. Are you sure? They saved millions of lives, hmm. saved people from getting hospitalized, and because we only measure the worth of human life through money, saved the American economy more than one trillion pinky-in-the-mouth dollars. The same day that study came out, Ron DeSantis, who is trying to shiv uh, Donald Trump and become the leader of MAGA, decides to go all in, Danielle, on vaccine hesitancy and now wants to investigate doctors uh, and and pharmaceutical manufacturing companies uh, and wants to basically cast doubt on vaccines. And he leads a state in which 80,000 people have died. And it's the same week that Elon Musk decided to attack Dr. Fauci, whose crime it was to basically spend his life trying to save people and trying to get them vaccinated. So the target now is on doctors and hospitals. I'm so glad you mentioned it. They're using transgender kids to Trojan Mm -hmm. horse their fascist agenda. And I fear, and we've talked about it on our show, that in our communities, there'll be a divide and conquer where the fear of transgender kids and this manufactured fear that doctors and hospitalers are like, you know, making your son into a woman and teachers are going to do that is going to increase violence against doctors 
medicines, the truth, uh, and and also uh, kids. How do you fix that? I don't know. That's a major thorn that I think in our society we we, we really have to look into because I think it's going to get accelerated because that's how DeSantis, of all people, decided to respond. He's like, oh, I will kill my own base to own the libs and yes. win over MAGA. And it was a very deliberate strategic uh, uh, move that he made to go all in with vaccine hesitancy, even though this mother effer got vaccinated, right? And but, his floor. But, go but ahead. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that watch, because this is what he's going to use um, to, to, to try and go to the right of Trump uh, on, on COVID. But the reality is, is that guess who doesn't push back and say, well, let's all start throwing out the number of people who died in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> right? 80,000. Like, like, right? You said 80,000 people, but are Democrats going to say, oh, yeah, you know, Ron DeSantis can talk all this hot shit about Florida having, quote unquote, stayed open because he killed 80,000 of his own residents. Right? Like, I, I feel, and, 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 and this is what I heard on the, on the news, is it's like, Oh, well, public health has become so politicized. I heard an anchor on CNN say this. And I'm saying to myself, can you stop fucking saying the term politicized? It isn't because only one party politicized Mm. public health to the cost of over a million lives. And that was the Republican Party. So stop saying that, oh, you know, this is this is going to be a political football or we're playing politics because what they do is that they they create the scene as if it is both sides that are playing politics where one side was literally fighting for the lives of the American people at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic and you had another that said Rip off your mask, go make out with each other in the streets and blow (laughs) on children. (laughs) Spread that virus. Spread that virus as far and wide as you possibly can. Kill, kill, kill our grandma and grandpa, you know, kill the greatest generation. They've lived a long life. And, and, you know, and to hell with love thy neighbor, kill thy neighbor. Hey, for freedom, you got to kill your grandma. Right. We had, we actually had somebody right from the Republican party that said, you know, grandparents will sacrifice their lives. That their was during the beginning so of COVID, Texas, so yeah. So their grandkids could, what, go to spring break? <laughs> yeah. Go to the Ozarks and then make out with each other and spread COVID and get herpes. No offense to herpes. Uh, let me give you a, a bouquet No offense of- <laughs> to herpes. <laughs> no offense to the herpes. No offense to our blistery uh, venereal disease friend. Uh, let me give a bouquet of roses, though. Please. The woke virus fought back. And I say the woke virus because <laughs> Elon Musk talked about how the woke virus must be defeated by any means. Nothing else matters. And he said this right after, and this is another beautiful bouquet of roses, he got roundly booed when Dave Chappelle, who has lost his mind because he's a rich man, brought him on stage in the Bay Area where Elon Musk and Chappelle thought he would be just applauded, Daniel. And he was met with five minutes of what? Booze. And let me tell you about this woke virus striking back. Georgia? Arizona, it shows you that when people come together, when people listen to black people and people of color, when you spend a decade organizing and creating relationships and getting out the vote, we can fight back against rising fascism, right? Georgia is a testament that all these forces that we have warned about for the past 24 minutes and for the past year 
they can be defeated. Georgia showed us the way. Arizona showed us the way. We also have potential, folks. We have potential. Don't give up on Texas and Florida because everyone yeah. says, oh, it's red, red, red. No, it isn't. DeSantis barely won. People forget that. Like Gillum like, lost by half a percentage point. Yeah. Now, yes, they're entrenching their power. But if you put in the long-term effort, which what we have to do goes back to our point, you cannot afford to be neutral. You cannot afford to be you know, in your malaise. You cannot afford to just be apathetic. You take the lesson from Georgia and Arizona and you model that type of activist behavior within five years, inshallah, it is possible that we turn Texas. It is possible we turn Florida. It is possible we turn North Carolina. And if you even just get Texas or Florida, it's a wrap, at least for our generation. It's a wrap. And then what we got to do, I'm sorry to say this, but going back and reading some history books, because I do read those books. Uh, about the civil oh, war. So you, you're, not in, you're not in the yay school of, uh, of no thought. Yeah, I'm not. The, <laughs> I'm not in the yay school of no thought and Hitler and made no highways, books. which he did. not yeah. uh, The North had an opportunity to crush the treasonous uh, rebellion slave owners. But because whiteness uh, is a big club and they're all buddies, it chose not to. Right. And this is one of those situations where if we have the majority and we finally flex the way we should flex, we can stamp out this radicalized minority. So that's my bouquet of flowers is that we still have work to do, but Georgia and Arizona in particular have shown us the path. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let me give let me give quickly my 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 rose before we uh transition into our uh culture oh, year, yeah. year end review. Um so my my rose is Generation Z. Nice. Generation Z. Everyone from the pollsters to the political analysts all said they're not going to come out and vote. They don't care about anything. They just you know, make memes and TikToks and, you know, we can't rely on them. Hell, I was even skeptical, Danielle. And guess what? The youth came out and they're the reason why we were able to hold on still folks to democracy by a fucking thread because Generation Z started looking and saying, you know what? These before generations from the boomers on down, you all are giving us a fucked planet with climate change that you right. refuse to do anything about. You've stripped away our right to abortion. Mm -hmm. We are living in our parents' basement if our parents are lucky enough to own their home mm -hmm. and aren't swimming in their own uh, college debt. Um, we have basically, you have provided us with the worst future prospects of any other generation to go before us. We they put through 
um, the new representative, Malcolm Frost, who is now the youngest representative coming out of that awful death state known as Florida. In his 20s. He's going to be in his 20s, is going to be representing um, in Congress. And so I say, you know, sometimes things do have to get worse before they get better. And I think that Generation Z has reached their fill mm. of the bad that we can provide them, the bad that we can hand off to them. And then I don't think that midterm elections are going to be the last time that we hear from them. I think that they are sick and tired of being, you know, told about this mythical place called, you know, the American dream that they don't have access to um, because they are being crushed underneath its foot. And so shout out to Generation Z. I look forward to working for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I look forward to seeing what you all do next. Respect, right. to, respect to Gen Z uh, for giving hope to a, an old 42-year-old man who takes lactate pills, uh, you know, the, the biggest bouquet and is working of roses. on his abs and is working on and his working abs. on his abs, uh, which has transformed into flab. <laughs> um, okay. Waj, with a couple of minutes that we have left, um, you know, we're not all gloom and doom. Mm. So what, ha- what has caught your attention in terms of culture this year that you should offer up for folks to either watch or read or listen to? All right. So, it perfectly ties into the conversation. Uh, there's a show that I know you don't watch, but hopefully you will, <laughs> called Andor. It's on Disney+. Plus. It takes place within the Star Wars universe. Now, I know some people might not watch Star Wars. Just stick with me here. Don't worry. I'm not going to nerd out. You'll, you'll enjoy this. Andor is a story of the folks in this universe who don't have superpowers. The average Joes, the laborers, the poor folks, the prisoners, the people who are living under the boot of the empire's oppression. You always hear about the empire versus the rebel forces, right? But you never really get to see the day-to-day life. And I'm watching this show and, you know, it's like a Rorschach test, I guess. I'm like, wow, that's Palestine and Israel. Even though I know that wasn't the intention, but it looked just like the occupation. Other people have said it's Haiti. Other people have said, oh, look, that's Mm. Iraq. Other people say it's, you know, it's Europe. Other people say, oh, that's any regime in which there's authoritarianism. And this show, which is just um, chef's kiss, I love it. All these Musk fanboys in the right wing say, this show is awesome because it's anti-woke. And it's the wokest freaking show on television. It's a Latino man who's the lead, Diego Luna, leading a multicultural coalition of rebels where there's a lesbian couple giving a middle finger to fascists. And the reason why that show works, in my opinion, it shows uh, the cost of occupation, both on the occupier and the occupied the bureaucracy uh, of the people within the empire, right? Where they're not really evil, but they're just doing their job and like trying to get ahead. And then also what occupation and poverty does to the average Joe, it turns people selfish and cruel. And so the lead hero isn't perfect. In fact, he's a kind of a liar and he, you know, commits crimes. But throughout the course of the season, you kind of see what can inspire a person to become selfless And what can inspire people who feel powerless to actually work together to fight back? And I think that's why the show depicts these, you know, ageless themes so well. And it's very deliberate on parts of the creator 
a giant middle finger finger to fashion. The final thing I'll say is the show also reveals in a very great way, and don't worry, it's not a big spoiler. Andor, the lead character, comes to a point in the middle of the series, right, where he gets his money. And he's like, F y'all. I finally got my money. I'm chilling. Goes to a resort planet, has sex with a beautiful woman, and just walking down the street, okay? This dude should have been arrested for being a traitor and a criminal and blah, 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 right? He's walking down the street. He just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. The, the oppressive guard, thanks to the, the, the surreal bureaucracy and idiocy and cruelty of uh, the occupation, arrests him for being at the wrong place in the wrong time. And then he goes to prison for six years, not for all the stuff that he did, just because he happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it just shows you that no matter how much money you have, Daniel, no mm-hmm. matter how white your skin is, skin mm-hmm. is, no matter how many friends you have, fascism will come after you. No one can be neutral. And so it takes all of us to fight back. And in that show, it's the poor folks, the workers, and the prisoners who, without giving too much of a spoiler, fight back and give Luke Skywalker and Han Solo the necessary ingredient to bring down the Empire. Watch Andor. I think I even may want to watch Andor now <laughs> after that movie phone review. Um, I love you have this a good watch. one too, though. I know you have. Yes, you, you've I, seen I, something that I haven't seen yet. I'm waiting till I, Christmas. I have. And so it's um, folks who follow me know that I am not huge into watching a lot of things that aren't the news, um, which is probably part of my problem. But I have watched now the first three episodes of uh, Harry and Meghan on Netflix Mm. as part of their $100 million Netflix deal. And I have to tell you that one, I like them even more. And why is that? Because, you know, we all had assumptions about the royal family. And I think that as the years have gone by from William and Kate getting married and over a billion people watching and all the joy, you know, that people felt around the world around that and to the death of the queen, to the marriage of Harry and Meghan and now the death of the queen, we've been having really thoughtful and engaged Mm. conversations about the pains of colonization. That's right. About the fact that this royal family exists because they said that they were anointed from God and that they had this royal blood and they made all of their wealth through the slave trade. Um, They had collectively the British empire, more slaves in more places than America did. Mm. And yet, as they abolished slavery in the 1800s, they also made themselves the hero of their own demonic story. They continue to rule over all of these nations, black nations, Caribbean nations. And, you know, when Megan comes, you see all of these black and brown people who have turned the UK very much into a melting pot because of immigration, which we've talked about on this show when immigration was opened and the UK needed, um, you know, teachers and, and, and workers and, and, um, and, and managers and this, mm. that, and the other thing. And we're learning this through Harry and Megan's Netflix story, because what they have done is infuse their own love story into the greater story of how fucked up the UK and the British Empire is and why they ended up having to flee because of the just rabid racism that that is 
ever present within the royal family, but also in the context of who is British and who is not. And so you see on one hand, black Brits and brown Brits being so empowered and feeling so amazing to be seen for the first time because of this black princess who in her own words has said she wasn't even treated as black in the United States and because she was able to pass in a Mm. lot of ways. She didn't hide the fact that she was biracial by any stretch of the imagination. She even played her character on Suits as a biracial character um, because she wanted it to be known. But she was never treated, and by, by means of me saying treated, I mean treated poorly, That's right. um, treated like trash, um, as Black people are in the United States. And so she goes, we want to see as Black people, not only in America, but throughout the diaspora, other Black people win, Right. And we thought this is going to be an opportunity for this very stained royal family to have an opportunity to reinvent itself through the lens of multiculturalism, through the lens of really reckoning with their own racial horrors. And then what does it look like to march into the future? But And they failed. You know, and they failed. And, you know, they failed miserably and at the expense of Harry and Meghan's emotional and physical well-being. So they fled. And I think that you get to see this real picture through their own words, not what was put in their mouths, not what they were told to say, the way in which the royal family plays in cahoots with the disgusting British tabloid press and have had this incestuous relationship for decades that cost Harry, his mother's life, right. right? And then to not want to see this play out even worse with his wife and his children. So I think it's in so far the way that they have these um, black British and brown British historians um, coming in to talk about the legacy of slavery, how their wealth was built. Um, and this comes on the heels after um, William's godmother needing to resign her place in the royal uh, family because she d- took it upon herself to touch uh, a very renowned black woman's hair and move it out of her way and question her lineage mm. because you couldn't possibly be black and British. Um, so we, we, we now see these cracks, these really, um, big cracks. And I think it's amazing. So, um, so that's my culture moment that of course is still tied to politics and race. Hey, all um, of it is because pop culture is linked to politics. Uh, and what I'll finally say, my, my response to that is you've convinced me to see it. And my final rose to close the show, the yes. queen is dead too soon. <laughs> It's not Too really. Um, she was 90, 100 years old, uh, 96 years old. Um, folks, it's a wrap. That is it <laughs> for us uh, in the year 2022 uh, on this democracy-ish. I am Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajahat Ali. And we will be back in 2023, inshallah. Inshallah, for- we will be back. <laughs> For more democracy-ish.